Welcome, welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is your homie, Jay Rich, a.k.a. John Richards, with the homie C-Lass, Chris Laster. What's cracking, man? I'm chilling, man. What's good? Ain't nothing, bro. Look, we're on episode number six zero, the big 60, bro. That's incredible, man. It's been a great journey. Yeah, it's been a good ride, man. It's been a great ride. And for anybody who's just joining us, we discuss three things on this podcast, right? We discuss sports, culture, theology, through the lens of the gospel. And we're going to do a couple of things this episode, right? We're going to talk about sports and culture, and we're going to throw some theology in there so that we can make sure that we're hitting this second topic that a lot of people have asked us to address on this particular episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the first topic, which you know we got to talk about sports because it's been a big sports week for us who are NBA fans, right? Because we got my boy, Kawhi Leonard, wanting out of San Antonio. And not only does he want out of San Antonio, bro, he actually said, I want to go play for the Lakers. This is Jay Rich's nightmare, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, man. Like, um, you know, some things happen in your friend's life where you feel like you need to check on them. This was like borderline. Like, do I need to check on my man, Jay Rich? Because if you're just tuning in to the podcast, Jay Rich is literally the one diehard Spurs fan that I know. And so um, here we got this superstar who's been an NBA MVP, uh, easily top three players in the NBA. He's been a modest unassuming superstar always overlooked never gets the credit that he's due unless you're a true basketball head and you can tell he's the best two-way player in the game and then he just comes out of left field uh with the shocking announcement so jay rich man how you doing man i don't know bro and it wasn't just the announcement right because he announced literally that he wanted to go to the lakers which if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know I despise the Lakers. Despise the Lakers. So my favorite player from my favorite team decides that he wants to be traded, not to Denver, not to Toronto, things I could handle or stomach, right? (laughs) To LA, he wants to go to the Lakers. This is my worst nightmare, and I don't know what to do, bro. When has anyone ever demanded a trade to Denver or Toronto? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never and ever. I, I understand that, man. But I would have been that would have been easier for me to stomach. Now I'm trying to process, okay, what is next step for my Spurs? Like, what are we gonna do? How are we going to approach this? I think there are a couple of different ways that we can approach this, okay? Find a suitable trade partner that's not LA, okay? Or be petty. Be petty, keep Kawhi on the team this year, let us sit his behind on the bench and wait until his contract runs up. And then we potentially lose him, but we free up about $20 million in cap space. I'm leaning, because I'm bitter right now, leaning towards the petty route, okay? But let's be realistic here, okay? I got to think through trade options because I think they're going to trade him, they could trade him uh, in the next several months. So my question is, man, see, Lass, as an objective fan, because right now I can't be objective, what is the best possible trade destination for Kawhi Leonard that helps my Spurs? Help me get through this. Boston. That's, I mean, that's a no-brainer. But, I mean, they have everything to help you 
if you're going to start a rebuild. But if you're going to trade Kawhi, who's 26 and the only member of the Spurs nucleus, except for the point guard now, I guess, that starts, Murray, um, Lord, like who's even close to in his prime, everyone else is on the older side. So if you trade Kawhi, do you also trade Aldridge? Like, if you know you can't get past San Antonio this year or past Golden State, do you just go ahead and say, like, let's blow this up. Like, let's do the full rebuild. Let's get as many assets as we can get from the Celtics because they've stockpiled everything. They have young talent. They have, like, salary cap maneuverability, and they have the draft picks. So that's, I mean, literally that the <laughs> that's who everybody wants to deal with because they put themselves in such a great position. But the Spurs is a great organization, probably the best run in the NBA as far as consistency goes. And so I doubt they'll be rash or stupid here. If yeah, that's any consolation, me. They're probably going to take their time, man. But So my thing with the, with the Celtics, okay, they're not going to give up Tatum, which I would want to get Tatum, right? And I'm not so sure I'm sold on Scary Terry, Rozier. Or Jalen Brown. Like, they both kind of started to come into their own. But I don't see them as star players. So, if they're part of a package, it's going to be a meh for me, right? So, I'm thinking, like, it has to be a Kyrie or, I know this is a long shot, or a Gordon Hayward that, that comes over in this deal that makes me say, yes, I really, really think that we have a shot at doing something in the future because, we traded a superstar for something that is very future focused. But right now, bro, I'm I'm just kind of bitter, upset. I can't think through scenarios very well. I went to the trade machine the other day and I just closed my box, closed the doggone web browser because I just can't imagine it right now. A, a Spurs team without Kawhi, without our quiet assassin, it's going to be tough to get past, man. Tough to get past. Listen, man, my thought is this, though. Uh, you know, Kyrie is in the last year of his deal as well. So it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, you could see a scenario where Boston doesn't think they can sign Kyrie long-term, and so they pull the trigger because even though they don't have a Kyrie-type talent, like, they do have other guards who could play if they felt like they had Hayward and Kawhi to carry the offensive load. and. Kawhi is a defensive stopper. So, I don't know. I feel like you should have some hope, man. I feel like it's that verse in Lamentations where um, even though he's in the middle of lament, at the very end, he's coming through and he's realizing, but with my God, there's hope. Jay Rich, I recommend for your Spursdom right now, can I send you the verses in Lamentations um, as, as just a source that could point you to some hope? even in the midst of your uh, basketball darkness. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going through right now. I'm in the middle of lamentations, bro. I, I need some hope. I need some hope for sure. So definitely shoot that over my way so I can try to figure out how to navigate through this. Look, I, I know my Spurs are going to come through it. I know it. I mean, they're like you said, they're one of the best-ran organizations, not just in the NBA, but in sports, period. So I do think they're going to make it through this. It's just a matter of who comes into Spurs culture, who is a player that I could see part of Spurs culture. If there was any perfect player for that, it was Kawhi. So it's just kind of sad to see this kind of devolve into this, but 
I understand. I get it. I get it. He wants to go somewhere else. I can't be too mad at him, but if he goes to the Lakers, he is definitely going to be my arch enemy. Period. Hands down. Wow. That ring he got you, though, Jay Rich. He can have that ring, man. He can have it, and we're going to go out and beat the Lakers because if he goes to the Lakers, it's all going to be enemy again. I need another Kobe. Maybe he can be that Kobe, but I don't know, man. We'll see. If he comes, you're getting all the Lakers young pieces. Like, it's not like they're – you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not just going to be your roster as currently constructed. Like, no, I get it's it. Gonna, they're only like a deal that puts you in a better position. Now, look, I love Ingram. I love Kuzma. Don't send Lavar Ball. Okay, I know Lonzo plays, but don't send his dad with him. <laughs> Do not send anything package that has a ball in it. I want to go yeah. Ingram. I want to go Kuzma, and I'll take on Luau Ding if that has to happen. Because he's going to be books in two years. I don't think the Spurs media, the, the San Antonio media, gives him a platform. I think that's the place where LeVar Ball goes and dies. Like, literally, not like dies physically. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The man? media version not of bad. him. No, the yeah. media version of him, right? I, I get it. I think that's true. But I don't, want, I don't want Lonzo Ball playing alongside Deontay Murray, two of the worst jump shooters in the NBA. Nah, bro. We good. We good. Send me a Kuzma. Send me an Ingram. And I'll take on Ding. And we'll try to revamp Ding into the Ding he used to be. And then we can go from there, man. And to be honest with you, nobody's taking L.A., man. LaMarcus Aldridge, we're stuck with him. We know what we get from him. 45 fallaway jump in the game. That's what we're going to get. And we're going to pay that man $18, $19 million to do it. It's all good. Ding, he don't even know where his hooping shoes are anymore. (laughs) <laughs> like that's how far off the roster, like off the radar, he is to the basketball world. Like he probably just got a pair of slides on at the end of the bench. He just know that he not getting it. If you think Rodney Hood was mad when he got called to go in the game, could you imagine somebody telling Luel Ding to actually go in and get minutes? Like he is not even considering lacing his shoes up making, and getting eight. making eighteen million a year. To wear slides, bro. I wear, I wear church socks and slides for that. <laughs> he is the new Gilbert Arenas, for show, for show. Well, we'll see, man. We'll see how that pans out. But we definitely want to move on to our next particular topic, which is um, wow, heartbreaking, dude. I mean, that's the only way that I can actually articulate uh, what's been happening over the past several weeks in our country. And uh, just to give folks a recap, um, obviously uh, there's been a lot of immigration conversation going on uh, in the social media streets and in the media streets and not just that, but actually on the ground politically, uh, things have kind of ramped up and it's had a adverse impact on those who are entering the country as families, um, literally breaking apart families while parents are separated from children and children are placed in the quote-unquote temporary holding facilities and places um, so that they can work out these illegal quote-unquote immigration issues. Obviously, uh, the government has chimed in. People have asked questions about ripping these families apart. And you know that Attorney General General Sessions uh, defended the policy, uh, which he says is a legal policy, by stating that it is consistent 
with what the Bible teaches. He references Romans chapter 13, respecting those in authority. You know, one of those texts that a lot of folks use. And then the internet blew up, bro. Blew up. I ain't never seen so many people read Romans 13 in my life. Atheists, agnostics, Christians, all over the place, <laughs> just reading the entire chapter. And I didn't think it would take a TV host to school sessions on exegetical context of a text. But certainly enough, Stephen Colbert chimed in and said, hey, you probably want to read down through Romans 13 where it says, love your neighbor a few verses after saying respect governmental authority. So, bro, look, we got all this going on, man. I just want to get your perspective on on what's happening, man, and how can we as the church uh, respond to something that's just so disheartening? All right. So first we want to, I mean, there's so many things. We're going to try to keep this tight. And first, let me just say, like, we lament, right? Um, we lament everything about this story. We lament the fact that these are the options for families seeking asylum that are leaving absolutely horrible situations. Just tr- they're basically trying to survive. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not on the come up. They're not trying to like make it in the rap industry or something like these people are coming from war ravaged countries or situations where they say our kids won't survive here. We know this isn't right, but it's all we know to do to save our family. And by the letter of the law, absolutely. It's illegal by the spirit of the law. I feel like you always have more compassion when you know like it was a do or die situation and someone's acting out of desperation right and then i said it, it's funny it's just like that tebow situation when he wore the john 316 and then had that one big playoff win and everybody's googling now everybody wants to know exegetically uh romans 13 hmm. um, and i do believe i'd I like the way that albert moeller said it the best is like hey like romans 13 does govern how we think about um government but in this case like it was a way far overreach right like this went way beyond what paul had in mind to govern when he was writing to the church in rome and that's where that hermeneutical work comes in and um jay rich can we just take one second real fast and say there's been so much to lament on church responses on so much over the last four or five years, ever since we've been doing the podcast, there's been a lot of lament and saying, man, as the church, this has been tough to watch the response. In this case, I've probably seen a better response for the church and than any of the other headline grabbing stories that have been in the news cycle that uh, the church tended to weigh in on. So I've been excited to see the church pretty much as much as I've read in some form of unison, this is not okay. Like separating kids from families are not okay. Every once in a while, I'll see the what about abortion as if it has to be an either or if you're a pro-life person. And I've been like, that's curious, but pretty much across the line, what I've seen is the church's response to say like, we don't want this. I've seen churches draft documents as a organizational statement, and I've been excited about those. 
And then uh, we shared an article and you could touch a little bit about just some of the, how do we think Christianly about this? Yeah, so uh, we're going to share this article in the show notes, but Bruce Ashford, who's a PhD uh, down in North Carolina, um, obviously I am going to school at the school where he teaches. So I think Ashford is one of the uh, great theologians who kind of engages culture, especially in the political sphere. So anytime something like this happens, seeing something from him is always very helpful. And he talks about just contextually uh, what it means to to have allegiance to Christ and his law rather than Caesar and the Roman law. Now, on first glance, you know, when you read Romans 13, it would seem to say, oh man, uh, we need to respect those in authority. Well, what does that mean for Christians who during the civil rights movement and other movements that were uh, against the government in some ways, against the policies in place, uh, how did they read that particular text? Well, they held true to the idea that we have a calling from a higher kingdom. And when those laws tend to uh, crisscross and, and one of them, uh, the earthly law, the, the law from the government actually does not jibe well with the law from our King Christ, uh, then we are called to actually um, do what we need to do to get those laws changed or, as a lot of Christians have done, find ways in which we may be able to affirm folks, affirm the Imago Dei in folks like this. So when we talk about this issue um, that's happening at the border, uh, you think about this. People are way more concerned about policies than they are concerned about human beings and human rights. You think about these kids who are my kids' ages who are traveling with their parents unknowingly, not knowing that things are illegal. And then to much of our surprise, they're ripped apart from their parents, regardless of what they've done. So as Christians, we have this responsibility uh, to our neighbor. I mean, that's the ultimate great commandment, right? To, to love God and to love our neighbor, where these folks are our neighbors. And as a country of immigrants, yes, even Europeans who come here, are immigrants. It's not your soil. Uh, as a country of immigrants, we are called to love people who are made in God's image, who are our neighbors, like literally, quite literally our neighbors. Uh, this, is, this goes beyond building a wall. It goes beyond any political action or political uh, agenda that people have. These are people, human beings. Um, and we can work through the policy at some point, but at some point you have to recognize that these people are people just like you who are looking for an opportunity. So, so as a Christian, man, we, we just got to be able to uh, understand that being subject to government authorities does not excuse us from being active to pursue justice. Yeah. And I think a, a good, I think a good just litmus test is, do these laws reflect God's design for human flourishing? Um, and if so, then we pursue them and we seek to see them enacted in our communities. But if they don't, so an example is in Exodus, when Pharaoh wants all the baby boys killed, but um, Moses's family puts him in the water. They refuse to obey the unjust law. And so they're hiding babies in the river rather than obey the law that doesn't jive with what God would say is the design for human flourishing. And so um, 
they had they obeyed a moral law rather than that law in that instance and so we see examples of that in scripture time and time again daniel hey you're not allowed to pray anymore ah like we were made to be in a relationship with our creator so that goes against our moral law so daniel disobeys shadrach meshach abednego uh we don't worship false gods you can't dictate to that to that by your government to us we'd rather suffer the consequences and disobey um and so those are things that hermeneutically we have to like take the whole bible into account that's why we just can't read one verse in romans 13 and say oh well we have to have slavery because we've had it and that's what our government says i mean that's dangerous that's a very dangerous way to interpret the bible and it can lead to all types of misuse and abuse and um i just thought the professor did a, a wonderful job of laying out hey here's how we read it in the context that we live in um, it's a very thorough article and i think he um he speaks well and he gives you like some action points to take as well so we can't commend that to you highly enough yeah here's the thing about christian action uh, that involves prayer but it also involves trying to figure out how to um, best engage this politically I, a lot of people will become apolitical when things like this happen. But one of the things about the Christian witness and uh, Vince Baycoat talks about this in his, his book, The Political Disciple. Uh, one of the things that, that we have to realize is that we are still living in this world and there's ways that we can impact our culture and society um, through exercising our right to vote, through calling senators to actually raise our voices in times like these, rather than drawing back and hoping uh, against hope that things will work out. There are things that we can do through obedience to the gospel to kind of help people move through this in political ways. And that's not a bad thing, not a bad thing to engage politically, but don't make political agendas things that we value over and above human life. Amen. All right, man. So we usually cover three topics, man, but we wanted to cover that second one a little bit more in depth. So what we're going to do now is talk about the things that we've been reading and listening to, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've actually recorded, man. What have you been up to lately, man, reading? I saw your picture with you with like 80 books around you, man. So I know you about to start engaging in some reading now. I actually just, I'll, I'll touch on that for 10 seconds, but that was actually a picture for an author website that I'm hoping to have up soon. But that was a lot of my favorite books. So that's one of my favorite pictures of me, not because of me, obviously, I'm no Denzel Washington, but uh, it's just a cool picture for me because I got to take a picture with all of my favorite books. I guess some people like they speak through like their tattoos and things. But I think like if you want to know a lot about me, you could probably look through that picture and see a lot of what and who has influenced me hmm. over the years. So um, and so my man, Jay Rich, sent me a text message that said, welcome to 2013. <laughs> and I have it. Like, I was super weak for so long, but I found this Hoopla app. All you have to do is go to your library, and it's like a Netflix account for libraries. And so you can just download five audiobooks a month. And so right now I'm on Living Forward by Michael Hyatt. Uh, full disclosure, I am uh, by myself. My family is at the beach on vacation at Myrtle, and I couldn't go. And I wanted to go into that week thinking about like, hey, I know I'm going to have extra time this week. 
let's think long-term. Let's start doing some life planning. Um, where do I want to be at this X amount of things? And that book has been super helpful for anyone who is thinking about doing some life planning. I would recommend to you Michael Hyatt's uh, Living Forward. And you can listen to the audiobook for free if you get the Hoopla app on your phone and get your password from your local library. Oh, good stuff. So I've been reading, I'm preparing a workshop for our upcoming conference for Amplify on racial reconciliation in the church and being a black, black and white issue. So I've been revisiting the classics, you know, uh, Divided by Faith and others. But I uh, wanted to read a newer book from Daniel Hill called White Awake. And Daniel's a pastor here in West Chicago. He's a white pastor, uh, pastoring a multicultural or a congregation. And he talks about his journey from realizing that we lived in a racialized society to actually wanting to do something about it. So the book's called White Awake. And it's really a really good read. He walks through it theologically, talks about the difference between ethnicity and, and race and, and deals with identity and cultural identity, things that, you know, people who are working through race reconciliation actually work through. So couldn't commend that enough, especially for our white brothers and sisters who are trying to navigate that space. Daniel's been working through that for over a decade now. So definitely commend that to anyone who wants to pursue reconciliation as a person who is not a person of color, but wants to be able to engage best in that space. Closing shout outs. What you got? Uh, can I shout out my VA crew? So Jay Rich, Every once in a while, I make it up to Chicago for Legacy and get to hang out with you and go to Soul Taco, your favorite spot up in the Shy. Um, <laughs> um, but my VA crew that goes with me to Legacy, uh, two of my homies, Nate Emanuel and Macklin Mosley, both release music. Uh, it's dope music, and I just am vibing off of it, and I'm super proud because you know me. I represent everything VA all day. But it's gospel-centered, and it's good. It's just got a good vibe to it. They sing well. It's kind of like neo-soul. It's smooth. It's got a lot of soul to it. Uh, it's just dope, dope music. So um, if you find a Macklin Mosley or Nate Emanuel, both of their, all their music is on iTunes. Nate just released his second EP. Macklin just released his first single. So my VA to Legacy Boys, Nate and Macklin, I got to give them a shout out. The homies, the legacy homies. Legacy homies. So my shout out is going to go to a couple of different folks. I'm going to go with the Truth's Table, uh, the ladies from Truth's Table, and with Lisa Fields from the Jude 3 Project. They actually just recently got named some of the most influential women by Christianity Today Women's Magazine. Uh, grateful for all the work that they're doing. Some great sisters. Uh, doing their thing. Theologians love thinking and processing things theologically. Lisa Fields is killing it in the apologetics game. She's going to be here at our conference next week. So shout out to our sisters in the Lord at Truth's Table and over at Jude 3 with Lisa Fields. You know, if Kawhi was in a black Baptist church and he told him he wanted to believe they would hit him with the bloom where you're planted verse, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, pop. Pop might go black, black Baptist preacher on the man. You never know. 
All right, you guys, that, that's been episode number 60 of the Boxing One Podcast. It's your boy, Jay Rich and C-Last. Look, go over to BoxingOnePodcast.com. It's our website. All of our episodes are over there. All of our episodes on iTunes. Just search at Boxing One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Boxing One Podcast and Facebook, Boxing One Podcast. Hit your boys up. Holler at us. Make sure you leave us some comments. Leave us some ratings over on iTunes. Until next go round, we'll see you guys later. Grace and peace to you all.